welcome to the Black Lawyers Matter podcast, providing you with invaluable pieces of career wisdom, brought to you by the Stephen James Partnership and Black Lawyers Matter. I'm your host, Samuel Clegg. Across the podcast, I'll be speaking to a host of esteemed leaders, thinkers, and inspiring figures from within the legal profession to understand why diversity is important to their organization and how they've excelled throughout their careers. Through these inspirational and educational conversations, we will be equipping you with the skills, knowledge and acumen necessary to not only navigate the legal landscape, but to thrive within it. Well, welcome today to my guest in the guessing day with regards to our Black Lawyers Matter podcast. Uh, Indy, pleasure to have you here. Thank you for coming. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks, Samuel. Thank you for having me. No, it's brilliant to have the opportunity to, to have a bit of a chat with you because uh, I appreciate you're uh, very busy. <laughs> uh, so Indy is a partner within a very large international firm specialising in dispute resolution, uh, has been a very active member of a number of the firm's uh, kind of pro bono committees and also the race and ethnicity uh, committee as well. So um, I guess my first question is, could you tell us a little bit about kind of how you got into law because I saw that you studied law initially at university and then did the conversion but where was your kind of motivation to to kind of where, where did it come from in terms of becoming a lawyer? Thanks it's a really good question I mean yeah if you look at my CV on, on the face of it it's, it's pretty route one I, I studied law at university went to law school and then started my training contract I mean when it came to choosing degrees at school I think one teacher sort of said to me um you know, you talk a lot and you're argumentative, you should, you should be a lawyer. And it was kind of that sort of, uh, it wasn't particularly scientific, I have to say. Um, but I, I looked into it and I, I, you know, I'd been keen to do a sort of degree in the arts, you know, school of things. And I did history and English as two of my A-levels and really enjoyed them. So I knew I wanted to go down that route rather than the sciences route. And having done history and English literature for, you know, a couple of years, I was quite keen for a new challenge. So when I started looking into law degrees, I thought, actually, they sound really interesting. And so although it wasn't particularly scientific at the start, and I think a lot of women, girls my age at that time and probably still now get told that, oh, you talk a lot, you should be a lawyer. At the root of it, I, you know, it did spark something in me of actually, I think that'd be really interesting. And I thought it would be a way to, you know, help people and be challenged and meet new and interesting people. And all of those things have been true. Yeah, brilliant. And if we kind of remain at that sort of phase in, in your career when you were kind of starting out and, and coming through the ranks, so to speak, how did you find the first couple of years of actually being kind of a trainee solicitor versus perhaps your expectation before you actually went into it? It's a great question. I think um, the first few, the first two years as a, as a trainee are just kind of a, a roller coaster. You, at, at least at Baker's at my firm and at a lot of law firms, you move seats every six months. So every six months you're you're starting from scratch almost with a new team and getting them to get to know you you learning how they work and the different personalities in the team so definitely it's kind of a tumultuous two years from that perspective because you're it's a two-year job interview basically and in each six months you're moving teams um and in terms of I mean what I thought would happen when I was at, at law school and at university versus practice I think studying the theory of law you don't really get taught very much certainly on the degree and to maybe lesser extent on the LPC just how important you know the client relationships are and how so much of what we do is built on forming relationships and building trust and you know what we always aim for at Baker's at my firm 
Baker McKenzie is is becoming the trusted advisor for our clients and so that is something that I think you really learn from watching other people around you who've been doing that and seeing what it is that they do to get to that status and I think that's something you can't really teach out of textbooks it's something that you do just learn by doing and so that was one of the biggest changes was realizing how yes obviously being a good lawyer being intelligent getting the answer right is obviously crucial but more than that is kind of forging those relationships with the client so that they do trust you not only when you're giving them great advice that they're happy with but also when you're giving them that that tricky advice of no that isn't the way you should do this or actually you haven't got a strong case or you shouldn't pursue this claim if you have that trust there with the client it makes delivering those messages a lot easier yeah okay i get that and i get I get a sense as though you you may have had client exposure relatively early on based on the way that you talked about that. Was that the case? Um, I'm thinking back now because I was a trainee in 2008, so it's quite a long time ago. Um, (laughs) Apologies, yeah. I think so. I think so. I mean, the benefit of, you know, physically being in an office with my supervisor was obviously they would pull me onto client calls and I would just get to sit in, you know, take a note, sit in, hear how they were interacting sometimes I was just you know sent up to a conference room and actually that happened to me once when I was in banking in my first seat my supervisor sort of mentioned at five o'clock on a Friday that some clients were upstairs um ready to sign some documents and could I just take them up and I ended up being in the office till like three in the morning so that was not what I'd expected that Friday afternoon so I yeah and I think being in banking especially you you do get thrown into the um the deep end it's quite fast paced quite quite fast moving and so I think definitely in banking my first seat I got a lot of exposure and then in later seats too I think that's the case I definitely think we need to work harder now to make sure that our trainees are getting the same sort of exposure that we had because obviously with the remote working that we've had for the past two years when you're on a zoom call with a client it isn't quite as easy just to kind of bring in another another person to sit in and listen as it was if I was sitting in a room the call would go on speakerphone and I would just join it so yeah it's definitely a challenge we've got now but I think I did have good exposure as a trainee and did you know, I suppose, when you were going through your different seats and rotations at that sort of point or even a little bit before, did you know kind of where you wanted to go within the firm once you qualified or was it more a case of as you had a bit more exposure and you saw what was involved in particular practices or departments that that shaped kind of your decision making? Definitely the latter, definitely the latter. I, I before I joined Baker McKenzie, um, my preference, i.e. the department that you kind of get guaranteed as a trainee, was actually employment. And I don't know why. I just thought employment would be, you know, something very interesting to do. And so I, I put employment down. And then for whatever reason, weeks before I joined Baker McKenzie, I changed it to what it was and what I now do, which is dispute resolution. And I never ended up sitting in the employment team. And I have great colleagues in employment, good friends of mine in and outside of work do employment law. So I don't know what it was that made me change my mind. I really can't remember. But I, you know, and then my first year as a trainee, I spent my first seat in banking, as I said, and my second seat in corporate. So my first year was really heavily transactional, you know, quite a roller coaster in terms of hours and volumes of work. Um, and I, I finished my first year convinced that I'd go down the transactional route, that I'd kind of I cut my teeth on that and I thought I can handle this I can handle the unpredictability and not ever really knowing if I can make my plans um but then I went into disputes and within a matter of weeks I kind of remembered why it was I'd, I'd chosen it as my preference and just really enjoyed the work I was doing and um so decided that, that was what I, what I wanted to focus on yeah brilliant well it's clearly been uh, an incredibly successful route for you uh, as you became partner um, just under a couple of years ago uh, which is brilliant to see for, for for me one of the big things that i look at is uh, behind kind of very successful people is thinking well there's probably 
for every person, a very different route for them to get to the particular position that they end up in. And a lot of the time, that's unfortunately going to be because they faced different challenges, setbacks, and they've had to overcome things. And I was listening to a podcast fairly recently that was talking about the difference between resilience and persistence, in that resilience is often what someone will feel kind of as they get a setback, but then the persistence element is how they bounce back or how quickly they bounce back from that. So I found that a fascinating concept. And I suppose with that in mind, from from your perspective, could you kind of give uh, an example of maybe a setback that you had that you learned from and, and how you learned from that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think for me, when I was a, a senior associate, I'd been, I spent a number of years doing a lot of work for a particular client, um, not exclusively, obviously, but quite a lot of time working on the client and, you know, involved in business development and, you know, client entertainment, all of that stuff. And basically there was a change of personnel on the client side and, and they're basically a refresh in terms of who was, who were our main contacts on that side. And it precipitated basically a change of personnel on our side in terms of who was going to be the client team taking the relationship forwards. And I, I kind of fell out of the client team as part of that sort of cabinet shuffle. And, um, it felt at the moment at the time very kind of devastating I just thought my goodness you know I've put so much effort and energy into this client and I um you know I'd always had aspirations for partnership and you know most years had drafted a sort of mini business plan of how it might look when I when I pushed for it and that client was a key part of that plan so it felt a little bit like the bottom had fallen out and I just thought what am I going to do and communication of the decision wasn't really handled very well internally um and so it was just really a few, a few days of just panicking a little bit and then having to regroup um, and, and refocus on, on other clients. And actually, it, it was really valuable in the end because it made me stop and take a step back and actually assess the whole of me and the whole of my kind of offering and my, you know, my client portfolio, my business plan. I would have done that anyway, I'm sure, at some point, but it really became quite urgent for me to do it quite quickly. And the other thing it did was that it meant my... I had a lot of conversations with lots of partners, not just the, the ones involved in the, the shuffling and the, the former client team and the new client team, but also other other partners in and outside of my team. And and what it meant was that I then started to be able to make very clear to people, actually, these are my aspirations more broadly. I am looking to push a partner. And now this has happened, you know, how am I going to get there in the next few years? What do you suggest that I do? And it led to some really, really valuable conversations. I mean, some conversations with some people they were kind of like, oh, we, you know, we don't see why you're so concerned and it'll be fine, don't worry. But I knew it was important for me to make sure I landed, you know, with some new clients and and people understood that, you know, I was open for business in terms of moving on to new client teams. And so it really taught me as well, you know, I, I got a mix of advice from different people at that point. Some of it very, very valuable and some of it I just knew in my gut wasn't right. You know, the people telling me basically not to panic. Um, and how, how did you deal with that? So Sorry to jump in, but... Uh, it just it just prompted me to think. Well, with lots of bits of advice and sometimes conflicting bits of bits of advice, how did you in that moment kind of separate the wheat from the chaff? You have to just be true to yourself. And I think I knew, you know, my initial reaction to being dropped from the client team was this is concerning. And even when people were trying to say to me, "Oh, it isn't. Don't worry," you know, I had to come back to my kind of um, you know north star, which is I know myself. I know what I need. I know where I'm looking to go, and this is important. And I, I think just having that confidence um, in my own belief of where I wanted to go was, was really important so that 
and it, we can come on to it later but it's, it's just something I learned from one of the mentors who helped me during my career was just you know you have to really know what you want and so you will get a mix of good and bad advice over the years for sure or, or good advice that actually isn't right for you in that moment and just knowing what it was that I was pushing for knowing that I was hoping to make partner in the next you know however many years it was at that point maybe three to four um and it was important for me to kind of pick myself up get back on another client relationship that I could really push with over the next few years and I think if I was someone who maybe wasn't as clear about what I wanted if I wasn't really sure I wanted partner I might have been like oh actually they're telling me it's fine then that's fine I won't worry but I think because I knew myself and knew what my goals and ambitions were um it was easy for me to say well thank you very much for that I disagree um and then kind of move forwards yeah very very diplomatic <laughs> the what, what you just mentioned around your North Star, that, that resonated with me. Could you give me a bit more of, under, of an understanding as to, I suppose, where that came from, from, from your perspective? Like at what point in your career did you kind of have something to almost have as a fallback and say, well, look, I, I know what I want to achieve, so I can kind of trust my instincts on, on that? I mean, it's a bit of it's a bit of a double answer because I've always been quite a determined, sort of single-minded person. When I when I want something, I sort of will set my mind to it and kind of go for it. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I mean, I did my vacation scheme with Baker McKenzie in 2005, so summer of my second year. And I remember as part of that, you know, they you get to meet lots of different people around the firm, and I met some really interesting, really cool partners who, you know, some of whom are still with the firm who had really interesting practices. And probably at that moment, I was like. I want to make partner at Baker McKenzie. I mean, it's a bit embarrassing to say to say that at 17. Um, but that's something I, I knew I wanted from quite an early age. I mean, you don't know at 17 what actually being a partner entails, but that's what I wanted. So from an early age, I kind of thought that's what I'm aiming for. And then m- more gradually, you know, I met a lot of people along the way and had some really good mentors who just really taught me the importance of taking ownership of my own career and taking ownership of my own goals and objectives and obviously you can't do this on your own and I'm not trying to claim I got here on my own I absolutely didn't but knowing what I wanted and 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 having had that kind of aspiration from 17 made it a lot easier for me along the way and there were definitely moments when I thought actually is this what I want you know is partnership something that I think I will enjoy excel at you know find interesting find challenging um that will gel gel with you know the life I want to live more generally but kind of having those those thoughts from an early age and having been taught by my mentors, you know, you must make sure that you know what you want helped make those decisions a lot easier. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you for sharing that. I guess kind of building on the moment or an example of kind of a setback and, and how you turned that into something positive as kind of to help guide you going forwards. I guess something that I'm, I'm very interested in is with regards to say like your journey within law of can you pinpoint maybe a moment that and again ideally not that example but it could be <laughs> if it is again uh, but kind of the one of the defining moments for you that that really mattered in but in a, in a more positive way where you were like right this is this is it like I now know that this is kind of where I'm going because of that moment that just happened so more of like a career highlight in, a, in effect um that's interesting yeah I mean I think one of the first times I kind of got a direct instruction from a client and they came to me for work. Obviously, when you're a junior and mid-level associate, um, you're, you're largely just doing the work that you're given. And it was definitely the first moment. I think I was maybe a senior mid or, or a senior associate. And I, you know, 
kind of approached me directly for some for some work and um it was someone I'd met at a, a baker's event and you know struck up a conversation with and um had kind of stayed in touch with and then they wrote to me directly with an instruction and I think that was the moment when I realized okay actually and it wasn't because they hadn't worked with me before um so it wasn't you know just a case of okay it's because they've seen I've done good work and they're asking me again it was someone who I'd met built a relationship with and who trusted me um obviously with colleagues and with a partner supervising you know to do the work and I think that going back to the point I made before about the importance of client relationships I think that was the kind of eureka moment of okay investing in clients and really playing to my strengths in that area which is that I really like talking to people I really like meeting new people I, I like to learn about new people and what their interests are and their challenges are um being quite nosy I guess <laughs> in summary a curious mind perhaps <laughs> having a curious mind that's a better way of putting it Having a curious mind can pay dividends and you'll meet partners across the city who have lots of different strengths. You have partners who are just technically brilliant and you have partners who are rainmakers, partners who are deal makers. And definitely one of my strengths is just the, the hopefully I think the ability to connect with clients and to generate those client relationships and, and, and bring others along with me um, in doing that as well. Yeah. Well, it, it ties in with something that I heard from, uh, again, it wasn't a mentor, but someone that, uh, I was close to probably about 20 years ago. I remember saying that if you go into every interaction or potential interaction or meeting with the expectation that something will happen off the back of that immediately, you'll always be uh, let down. But often it's it's the case of you meet that person and you you are your authentic self. You, you give them a, a reason to either engage with you or your business or uh, your firm, for instance, and then if you do have or have had the right impression with them, that it might be that they get back in touch with you out of the blue and say, hey, actually, we've now got something for you. So I think it's a very interesting concept, um, kind of the expectation, uh, certainly from my side of things, versus will actually play the long game the whole time, <laughs> even when you're starting off right at the start, because you never know that the client that has a bit of small talk with you in, in a lift about something totally not to do with business might be the one that remembers you in five years when you are a senior associate, for example, and they are looking to transition like their company's work to, to a different firm. So yeah, that really resonated with me. Um, I guess we kind of touched on it a little bit in the introduction, but uh, you are and clearly have been very busy in, in the kind of space of, um, in the diversity space, let, let's call it that. Um, I guess something that I'm, I'm always fascinated on, and that's kind of my nosiness or curious mind, uh, is, is where that passion comes from, from the individual. So I guess that's my question to you is, is where does that kind of want to, as you mentioned, bring others along on the journey with you and, and be involved in, in things that are going to help hopefully lots of people through kind of whether it's a firm network or perspective or on an individual level, where does that come from? I think... It just comes from the fact that, you know, often the clients I'm dealing with don't look like me, um, don't have the same background I've had, but I can still connect with them. And I, I just think the idea that you can only connect with a client if they're exactly the same as you is just a complete fallacy. So, you know, especially the, well, at Baker McKenzie, we have such a diverse client base. You come from all over the world with all different backgrounds and experiences. If we are going to serve them the best way we can, we need to make sure we have a diverse workforce ourselves and I just it's, it's a tricky question to answer because to me it's really obvious so sometimes I struggle to kind of articulate it but you know having a homogenous workforce um you know with only maybe you know a, a limited number of different views isn't helpful and I think 
there are so many studies and reports out there about how companies with diverse leadership and diverse employee bases have better results, perform better. It just, that all makes perfect sense to me. I think diversity of opinion, diversity of view, diversity of background and experience can only make us stronger and better. And so when you enter a, a field, an industry, the legal industry, which isn't necessarily as diverse as you might have expected it to be, you know, it, it just, you know, it just becomes a case of, well, what can we do about this? And, and who else can we bring along on this on this journey? Um, and, you know, I benefited from mentors, you know, from diverse backgrounds as well. So it just, it, it's not a very articulate answer because it just, for me, seems so clear. Yeah, of course. And look, I appreciate you sharing for it's it's unlikely to ever be a, a very kind of neat answer when you're talking about something that you're, you're very passionate about. And so it's, it's more to give me a bit of an understanding because I, I, I'm very curious when it comes to anything with regards to understanding peoples, typically, sometimes firms or companies, but it is the people kind of within those organisations and businesses that I, I really am fascinated about like what is it for them because I, I really believe that everyone's journey is individual but also everyone's kind of reasons for wanting to to do things are totally individual so yeah no thank you very much for sharing that you've uh, you've alluded to a couple of times mentoring which again another another big interest of mine can, can you talk me through kind of your first experience of, of mentorship? And I guess it could be either you mentoring someone or someone mentoring you. Definitely my first significant experience was when I was mentored, um, basically when I joined Baker McKenzie and um, as a trainee and um, the inimitable Sophie Chandalka, who, who many people know very well, she actually trained at, at my firm and um, she's, you know, she co-founded the Black British Business Awards. Um, she's Zimbabwean, um, trained, I think, in Canada and then, and then you know, moved to Baker McKenzie as a trainee and was an associate when I joined the firm. And um, Sophie, she's now at, working at Meta, formerly known as Facebook. So she's kind of, she left us a while ago, but um, she kind of just sort of spied me <laughs> when I first joined and was like, you, come here. And um, she was great. You know, she would just you know intermittently check in with me we'd go for coffee you know and just I was sort of too ignorant at the time to kind of realize that she was you know she had a concerted plan that she wanted to make sure I was kind of looked after and that my career was going in the right way and you know she really opened my eyes to things that I needed to consider about myself and, and that's really where it came from about the importance of advocating for myself knowing my worth being you know very clear about my career goals and challenging you know if I didn't think some feedback was, was right, you know, making sure that I stood up for myself in those respects. And, you know, I think I came in, I think there's a lot of trainees come in to the legal profession. And I think particularly, I think minority trainees thinking, okay, if you just keep your head down, you know, do a good job, show you're intelligent, that will get you where you need to go. And as I said at the outset, that, you know, very rapidly you realise that that's not the case and there's so much more that comes into it. So much more about relationships with clients, but also relationships with the people around you, people in your team, the work providers, the people who make the decisions. And so Sophie taught me a lot about that. And it was just so valuable. And I mean, she also taught me the importance of being a good mentor. I, you know, I learned so much from her because she just did this so stealthily. I didn't even notice what she was doing, but she had a profound effect on my career. And so certainly now I try um, to do that for other people in and outside of the office. Um, you know, check in on our ethnic minority trainees, junior associates, mid-level associates, and you know, hopefully provide a bit of a sounding board. When you just, you always just think 
am I imagining this? Is this quite right? And just having someone else who maybe has gone through that same experience or just can give you their insight is so valuable. And I definitely learned from Sophie the importance of being mentored well, but also being a good mentor as well. Yeah. And when do you think is the best time uh, in, say, someone's legal career to, to have a mentor, if there is a best time? I think definitely early on. I think, you know, particularly as a trainee, as you know, as a graduate, you're coming into the working world for the first time, albeit you may have had jobs before I worked at Debenhams, you know, through school and everything, but coming into the legal profession for the first time and you spent, in my case, four years learning about it, you know, my undergrad degree and then the LPC. I think those early years are so important as you're kind of navigating it. And as I say, because you're moving so often in those first two years, you're so susceptible to the personalities around you. I think having a mentor who can provide that kind of steady state through that period is, is really important. Yeah, brilliant. What would be the one piece of wisdom or advice that you'd give to your kind of uh, early stage trainee uh, or qualified lawyer self? Okay, so the first piece of advice, which sounds quite harsh when you say it, but I'll explain, is nobody is is as interested in your career as you are. Um, And that sounds quite harsh. And that's not to say, as I say, you won't find good mentors, good sponsors, good coaches. But it's just that point, again, about making sure you centre yourself in your aspirations. I think particularly when you are a graduate, whether it's in law or elsewhere, you know, there's so much time and energy is put into graduate recruitment. And then we really look after our trainees, particularly in those first two years. There's a lot of support put around them. But you really have to make sure as well as a trainee that you're already at that point thinking about, again, what you want and where you want to go. And more so when you transition to being an associate. And actually a lot of those um, training wheels come off and there is there's still support available, but there's less intense support as, as that that you got as a trainee. So definitely just remembering, okay, there are very well-meaning people out there, but they're also busy. And actually everyone's thinking about their own career. Everyone's thinking about their own personal life. And so you'll always find people who will provide that support to you. Of course you will, but you're not always top of their list and top of their mind. So make sure that you're top of your own list. And that applies, you know, to your career as well as your personal life, frankly, and your own well-being. But yeah, nobody's as interested in your career as you are. So just make sure that you're the one kind of steering it in, in the right direction. And, and then linked to that, and I think it's it's a, a linked point, is someone once said to me this idea, this concept of, you know, not just looking for one mentor or one sponsor, because as I say, not everyone can always give you everything that they can at that particular moment in time for whatever reason. And I heard the concept of like thinking of it as gathering, you know, directors who'll form your board of directors of your company you know so you've got different people who can offer you different things at different times and again that's easier than for you to filter out the good advice from the bad if you're getting it from a few different sources but then importantly you are the chair of your board and that comes back to the same point that you know you have the casting votes you can have these people around you who will give you support and give you advice but you're the chair of your own board you're the CEO of your own company and again you know that's something to really bear in mind yeah, I love that as a concept. It resonates with me for sure. Um, and I guess if, if we go a bit kind of more towards present day, have you got uh, a mentor, mentors kind of at the moment you do? I have, yeah. I have um, a senior female partner in my firm, but not in my team, who has taken a real interest in my career. And I would say she was a sponsor in my kind of couple of years running up to partnership and then now is more of a mentor because as I'm now a partner you know you have these questions and I'm looking I'm back in that phase of needing some guidance about you know where I where I go with my um with my career 
Um, and I definitely had sponsors, as I say, going through the partnership process. There were, you know, two or three people I can think of in particular in and outside of my team who were very invested in my partnership application and in my trajectory through the, the partnership process at the firm. So I definitely did benefit from that. I was very lucky too. Yeah, brilliant. Well, look, many thanks for taking the time out to to have a chat with me today. It's been um, very insightful. I've loved finding out about uh, lots of different things about your career and, and how you've got to where you are, uh, which is really inspiring to, to see you doing so well at Baker & McKenzie. And um, yeah, wish you all the best for the future and, and thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Black Lawyers Matter podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others to find the show. For more information on how Black Lawyers Matter is helping to unlock opportunities for black professionals in law, head over to blacklawyersmatter.co.uk. For more information on how the Stephen James Partnership is addressing underrepresentation in the legal space, head over to thesjp.co.uk. Join us next time for more of the Black Lawyers Matter podcast.